Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1, the word of God says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowds, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that's what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, pick up your mat, walk out, and go home. He got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And he walked along and he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus said. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who had followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. This is the word of the Lord. I love God's word. I love the Gospels, and, and what I want to do is I want to just pull a few nuggets out of Mark 2 this morning for you and really, hopefully, trigger something in your soul and in your spirit so as you dive into it this week on your own, it's kind of just a springboard. And I love how when we read God's Word, a lot of times there's different themes that kind of start to arise out of it. And this gospel is broken down into so many different sections. And there's really two distinct sections I'm going to focus on this morning. But there's really an overall theme that I want to hit. And it's actually a question that gets raised. And so I want to ask the church this question. Do you want to be a part of a practical church? Or do you want to be a part of a miracle church? And I want to get a little deeper because you've got to ask the question personally. I want you to ask yourself, do I want to just settle for what's practical in my life? Or do I truly desire to see the miracles of God at work in my life? I think we have to come to this question and all throughout Jesus's ministry. I love the way he does ministry because he just walks the walk. Like he lets the talk do the talking. 
And he walks into these settings and these situations where the religious people, like the churchy people, who, who thought they knew how to do ministry for all of these years before Jesus shows up, Jesus shows up on the scene as the Savior of the world, and he really flips everything upside down. And it confuses them. And, and sometimes it actually makes them mad because of the way that he's doing ministry, because it's different than what they've ever seen before. And so as I read Mark chapter 2 this week and, and began praying about it and dissecting it, this question just kept coming back to me. Practical or miracle? Practical or miracle? And then I had this thought, following Jesus is not always going to be practical. And, and we've got to understand this. Like, does it make sense to give up what you want, to seek the desires of what your heavenly father wants for you? Society would tell you that makes no sense. Some of y'all are like, every time I go to church, they ask for my money. Does it make sense to give your money to the church? Absolutely not. But it is a command from God. There are going to be things in our pursuit of Jesus and as his followers that really just don't make sense. They're not practical. Like, like I've sat with people before and, and they've told me all the hundreds of reasons why they don't want to be a follower of Jesus. And I looked at them and I said, you know what? I have the exact same list. And then I met the man and he changed my life and I threw the list away. Because I realized if I was going to be in love with the man named Jesus, if I was going to follow him with all of my soul, heart, mind, and spirit, it was going to take more out of me than just what makes sense. And we've got to understand, y'all, that sometimes following Jesus isn't going to be practical. Look at Mark 2, verse 1 through 12. This is the first section I want to focus on. We, we meet this man who's paralyzed. And so his friends come up with a game plan that they actually believe, like this is amazing, I love this. These friends actually believe if we can get our paralyzed friend in the presence of Jesus, God can heal him. And so my first question for you is this, what kind of friends do you have? Are your friends believing for your miracle or are they wishing against your success because it means they'd look better? What kind of people do you surround yourself with? Are they taking you where God's taking you? Or are they holding you back from everything that God has for you? These friends wanted to see their paralyzed friend healed. And they came up with a game plan. If we could just get him in the presence of Jesus, then God will heal him. But guess what, church? They're not just about the talk. They walk the walk. Because many of us, this is what we do. Man, I know if my friends would just show up to church, then Sally would stop sleeping around with Jim Bob, and, and then their marriage would get fixed. And I just know if my friends got to church and they met Jesus, then, then they'd stop smoking them shades and they'd start doing it. We talk, we talk, we talk. When was the last time you actually walked the walk? Hmm. Because these friends wanted to see their friend healed. And so what did they do? They got a stretcher. And this must have been a big dude because it says it took four of them to carry him. Like, put me on a stretcher and Mark Stewart could carry me out of here by himself. Like, they needed four guys to carry this man. But they didn't stop 
They did whatever it took, and, and they carry this paralyzed man on a stretcher to the house where Jesus is, and they can't get to Jesus. The Bible says there was so many people there, there was no room left, not even outside the door. And so these friends have a question that gets raised. Practical or miracle? Because really, they've done the practical steps. They, they've made the stretcher. They got their friend on it. They, they walked the friend to Jesus. They got to the place where Jesus was. This is where it made sense. Like they were expecting to just show up, walk in the door, and boom, there's Jesus. He'll get healed. He'll walk home. It's all good. But that's not what happened. So they had this question, is it practical or do we want the miracle? And here's where so many American Christians missed the mark. They would have stopped there. Oh, pastor, I invited my friend to church. They're not here. Invite him again. Oh, pastor, I've been inviting my friend for three months. They're still not coming. Show up at their house at 8 a.m. on Sunday morning, knock on their door and bring them with you. Oh, Pat, they, they, they don't want to come in the four walls. Oh, how about you do this? Cook breakfast at your house, go pick them up, invite them over to your house at 1030 and put on the live stream of our church service before you watch the football game with them. Oh, but Pastor, I, I did the invite. I took the practical steps. Like, I, I did my job. Like, sorry. Like, we would have looked at the dude on the mat and said, sorry, bro. I got you here. Jesus is closed right now. We'll have to come back when he's open and there's nobody here. Like, I... This is what's wrong with our country. We fight over Stanley Cups at Stargate, but we can't get people to church. Like, I'm just saying, y'all, I've been on social media. It doesn't make sense. We've got people beating each other to get a stupid pink cup that's worthless. Yet we think one text or phone call to invite people into the presence of God that's not going to just change their life here, but save their soul for eternity is enough. Are we doing practical or do we truly want to see the miracle? Because can I tell you something? Those friends showed up and they saw a crowd and they asked themselves, how far are we willing to go? And I, I believe they looked at each other and they said, guys, we're going to do whatever it takes. What's next? And so they had to game plan. And I love the word. It doesn't say all of this, but sometimes we have to read it slow so we can really start to comprehend what's happening. Because here's my question. Where the crap did they get a shovel? Like it says, they came bringing him on a mat. Since they could not get to him because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. Like they're like, all right, boys. How are we going to do this? Someone says, light bulb moment. We dig a hole in the roof. Stanley, great idea. I, I got my foldable shovel right here. Like, like what? 
They, they had to come up with a game plan, but then they had to go find resources to accomplish it. Like, they were willing to do whatever it took. Was it practical? Absolutely not. Like, are their wives all waiting on them at home? Probably. But they said, we're doing whatever it takes. They dig a hole in the roof, and then they create some kind of pulley system to lower him down in front of Jesus. And they're like, whoo, praise the Lord. He's getting his healing today. And the Bible says in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, you're healed, get up, walk, and go home. That's what they were expecting, right? They did whatever it took. They, they, they went beyond what was practical. And yet they hear Jesus say, Son, your sins are forgiven. Whoa, whoa. I, put yourself in, in that dude's, I can't say shoes because he's not walking yet. Put yourself in that, that dude's mat. Like you're laying there, your buddies are trying to get you there so you can get healed. And you're laying on the mat and Jesus, the son of God, looks at you. And all he says is your sins are forgiven. Jesus, I didn't come here to talk about my drinking problem. <laughs> Just let me walk, dude. What, what was going on? Well, can I tell you something? Jesus wasn't interested in what's practical. He was interested in a miracle. And you can miss it if you're not careful, but it actually would have made more sense had Jesus just healed him right away. That's what he wanted. That, that's what they were brought there to do. And yet Jesus said, I'm not interested in what's practical. There's an even greater miracle. And I want you to see the greatest miracle that you will ever witness is salvation. And so he chose to forgive the sins of the man before him, before he ever healed him and gave him the ability to walk. Church, I'm telling you, I want to be a house of miracles. I want to be a church where people come to from all over and they're getting healed and blind eyes are being opened and deaf ears are hearing and lame people are walking and cancer tumors are shrinking. I want to be a house of miracles where the manifest presence of God is taking place and miracles are just breaking out. But can I tell you something? The greatest miracle that I desire to see in this house is the lost returning to their father. Is the broken that are saved because Jesus is showing us the example right here. Salvation is and will always be the greatest miracle. Like Jesus actually says it's easy for him to tell that guy to get up and walk. Like that's how easy it is for God to perform a miracle. But he wanted to show us that above just healing the man, I wanted to set him free. Above just giving him the ability to walk, I wanted to give him a purpose. And so some of us are crying out to God to solve our situation or fix our brokenness or take away our addiction or heal that family member. And Jesus is just asking you today, I want your heart. Is your heart saved? Is your heart set free? Can I just have you and leave the rest up to me? Jesus knew that there was a miracle that had to happen, and I'm amazed that he didn't just stop there, but he still healed the man. 
because he wanted to let everybody know not only does the son of god have the ability to heal but he has the authority to forgive sin and i wonder how many others in that room that day got saved because of what took place and it all began with a couple friends who had the faith to believe that god could heal their friend do you want practical or do you want the miracle I, I see in this second section that i read verses 13 through 17 I, I really see the same theme come up again because jesus has now walked out to the lake and the crowds are still following him and he walks past a tax collector's booth where levi is sitting and he calls out to him levi follow me and, and i find it so amazing that when jesus spoke they obeyed like it doesn't say levi figured out what he was going to do it doesn't say he figured out his transition plan like he doesn't it just says he followed him like there was no hesitation to follow jesus and so he follows them and then we actually learn just another verse later that now not only has jesus invited levi to follow him jesus is actually sitting in levi's house eating with him and he's dining with Levi's friends, the tax collectors and the sinners. Like, I just got to be honest, y'all. The Bible, I think, is so funny if you read it. Like, just, just check this out. Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners. Like, that's how bad tax collectors were. They had their own category. They weren't even called sinners. Like, like let me change it. We've got the IRS, and we've got sinners. We've got the United States government, and we've got sinners. Like, like, they had their own cat. Like, I just love that. It's like, he doesn't just group them all together and say, oh, Jesus was eating with the sinners. Nope, don't forget the tax collectors were there too. Like, they're the bad people. And so Jesus dines with them, and he's eating with them. And, and, and then the Pharisees, like, let me just tell you, these are the churchy people, okay? The church folk notice this going on, and all of a sudden, they start to get confused. And they go to the disciples, and they're like, yo, what, what's your boy Jesus doing? Why is he eating with the sinners and the tax collectors? If I have the liberty to just translate their question, I would phrase it like this. They went up to the disciples and said this. Why is your homeboy Jesus not doing what's practical? He says he's a religious leader, so he should be teaching in the synagogue. He should be doing what we're doing. Why is he doing something else? What's he doing with them? He should not be eating with those kind of people. We don't associate with those kind of people. And so we're raised with the question again, practical or miracle? You see, from the outside looking in on that day, Jesus was not doing what made sense. He had a mission. He had a vision. There was a, a purpose on his life. So why was he stopping to eat with tax collectors and sinners? But can I tell you something, church? I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't settle for what's practical because I would have been at that table with the tax collectors and the sinners. And I believe Jesus was interested in those who were in that room that day, 
But even more than that, he also wanted to let all of humanity know for the rest of eternity why he came. Jesus was putting all of us on alert to say, I've come for the hurting. I've come for the broken. I've come for the lost. I've come for the addicted. I've come for the sinful. I've come for the shameful. I've come for the guilty. I've come for the one that the world is going to push aside. Those are the people that I'm coming after. Because he responded to their question and their criticism about what he was doing with this statement. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come for the righteous, but the sinner. And I read that and I say, thank you, Jesus, because I was the sinner who needed to be saved. I say, thank you, Jesus, because I was the one. I was the sick that needed a supernatural physician to walk into my life and to piece the parts of my life back together that the world had broken before. Thank you, Jesus, that he came for the reject because that was me. Thank you, Jesus, that he came for the addict because that was me. That is what Jesus was saying. He was showing up on the scene and he was saying, I'm not interested in what y'all think I'm here to do. I've got an agenda. I've got a plan. I've got a mission. I've got a purpose. And that's to redeem the lost back to their father. So get out of my way because I'm going to do whatever it takes. He wasn't interested in what was practical or what even made sense to the custom of the day. Jesus said, I'm interested in the miracle. And that's the sinner coming home. That's the lost returning to me. Church following Jesus is not always going to be practical. Here's what I want you to see. Sometimes God will call you out of the practical in order to see the miracle. You might say you desire to see the miracles of God in your life this year. Well, I want to ask you, what are you going to do in your life that's different? Because the practical ain't going to cut it. The check the box American Christianity is not going to cut it. The heart of God is stirred when people of faith put their faith into action. And they say, we're willing to do whatever it takes to see the miracle happen. Like, I'm going to just be honest, y'all. Some, some, some of y'all haven't experienced the miracle because you're too shy to get to the altar. You're too afraid to admit your need for a savior. Because small town USA... If I go up there, then people are going to think that my marriage is falling apart, and then they're going to talk about me on Tuesday morning coffee at the ladies' group, and then these rumors are going to start, and I just... I, I. Can you imagine if Jesus cared about what people thought of him? What would happen if the person in our community or your community, because we've got people here that don't call Mineola home. What would happen if you went to that person that's usually labeled as the addict in your community or the outcast in your community, and rather than just looking at them and judging them by their outside or the decisions they've made in their past, 
You cooked a hot, warm meal and you invited them over for dinner. No agenda, just to say, hey, I care about you and I love you. You wanna know the sad reason why many of us would never do that? Because we're so afraid what Sally across the street would say or tell the community if they saw him walk into our house. And here's how I know that to be true, because I've done it. And I've let the opinion of people hinder me from doing what God's called me to do, church. And I'm telling you, 2024 is not the year for that. We're stepping out of what makes sense. We're doing what the world is going to call crazy. And we're going to call down heaven and we're going to believe for God to do the miraculous that only he can do. Some of us, we need to tear off our roofs. Some of us, we need to go and sit and talk with that person. Some of us, we need to bake some bread and, and we need to do dinner with that family. We need to do what isn't normal. We need to give more than we think we should. We need to just go pay for their groceries. We need to invite them to join us at church. We need to pray for them in public. And even if God doesn't heal them, we're going to risk our reputation to look like a fool because we want to build the kingdom of God. We're going to do what doesn't make sense. Why? Because we exist to make heaven more crowded. And we've got one example that we're following. And his name is Jesus. And he didn't do what made sense. But I'm telling y'all, he changed the world with 12 men. And he's alive today. He's moving today. And I don't want to just be a practical church full of systems that checks a box. I want to be a miracle house that says, Holy Spirit, come do what only you can do. But it's going to take men and women and teenagers and children to rise up and say, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Oh, and I know it's going to be hard because our society and our culture is actually running in the very opposite direction as this. I, I, I'm so tired, if I'm being honest, church, of people saying America's the nation under God. Are we? I know some people in the nation who are under God, but I don't know if I'd say our nation is. You want to change what's happening in D.C.? Start with your neighbor across the street. It's time that we get outside these walls. It's time that we put our reputation on the line. And it's time that we begin to trust God and have the faith like those four friends to say, we're going to get you to Jesus, whatever it takes. And if it means I'm going to have to rip holes in the roof, so be it, I'm going to do it. If it means I'm going to have to write that check, so be it, I'm going to do it. If it means that I'm going to be late to that thing, so be it, I'm going to do it. The reason so many of us can't experience a move of God in our life is because he does not have the room to move. 
We sit down at the beginning of our week and we create our schedule for the week and, and we've got this organized, detailed schedule of where we need to be when, what we need to do there. We gotta get the kids to school and then they have 16 different activities that they're involved in. And then we check this box, we do this, we do, this, and we're so exhausted by the time the day is over. We go to bed, some of us, we have a little bit of, and then we go to bed because we can't sleep without it. And then guess what we do, church? We wake up the next day and we do it all over again. Maybe your decision to not do what's practical this year is to just give God a little margin in your life to do his work. And to block out a little bit more time to say, Jesus, this is your time. Do what you can do. And we have a lot of students in here, and so I'm going to tell you to some of y'all, I know you're in a school that only has 40 kids or whatever, but maybe you need to say this season, I'm not competing in a sport because I need to give God room to move. This season, I'm not doing that activity because I need to give God to move. My heart is breaking because I watch these small communities literally abuse our children on the altar of sports and extracurricular activities. And we wonder why they're strung out on coke, alcohol, and drugs in their free time. Church, it's a new year. And we can say new year, new you, all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, until Jesus is in the equation, nothing is going to change. So I want to ask you a question. Do you want to settle for what's practical? Or do you truly want to see the miracle? I want to close in prayer, but before I do that, I want to give you just kind of a glimpse of a way that you could study this chapter throughout this week on your own. And so if I were to sit up here and say, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to soap guide this with you. Here's what that would look like. We'd start with our S, the scripture. And so that would be Mark 2, 1 through 17. That those are the scriptures that I read this morning. Just that for, It's really just the first half of Mark 2. There's a whole another portion of scripture that we didn't even have time to dive into today. But as you study this week, I know God's going to reveal some things to you. And then we go to the O. What's the observation? Here's the simple observation, church. Sometimes God will call you out of the practical in order to see the miracle. And we're going to stop doing things the way that we think we're supposed to do them. And we're going to trust in Jesus and rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us. And then we go, well, how do we apply this? What does it look like to apply this to our life? What's the A? Well, here's how you apply it. Even if we, if we want to see miracles, we are going to have to get over doing what just seems practical. We are going to have to do whatever it takes to put our faith into action. My theme for this year is whatever it takes. And I'm going to live that personally, but also for our church. We're going to do whatever it takes. And some decisions are going to be made that we're like, this makes no sense. Nobody's done this before. Hey, we're going to do whatever it takes. Because I'm interested in making heaven more crowded. And I'm not stopping at anything. And then the last part of that is, how do we pray this? What is this? look like. And so I'm actually going to pray this prayer over us at the end. And feel free to take a picture of that slide if you'd like. 
But I also, before I pray that prayer, I want to give an invitation to anyone in this room or those online today. Because as we read Mark chapter 2, today may be the very first time that you were introduced to a man named Jesus. And I want to tell you that man lived his life perfect and sinless, only to give his life at the end of his life for you and for me. You see, all of us have sin. And we can try and sit and we can try and categorize which sin is bigger than what sin. Can I tell you why sin doesn't have a category? Because if there were different categories of sin, there would be different prices to pay to atone for those sins. But because there is no category of sin, all it took was one price. All it took was one payment. And all it took was one atonement, and that's the blood of Jesus on the cross. And because of that sacrifice, and because his blood was shed, it covered the sin for all of us. And I want to tell you today, I don't care if anyone's told you otherwise, but I'm here to tell you the truth today. Jesus says, come to me as you are. And yes, that means if you have an addiction, bring it to the foot of the cross. Yes, that means if you have some shame in your life, bring it to the foot of the cross. Yes, that means if you have some unholy habits in your life, bring them to the foot of the cross. Jesus does not say, hey, go clean up and then come to me. He says, no, come to me as you are. And I love the picture of the cross because that's how he gave his life, arms wide open. And I'm here to tell you today, he's looking at you the same way. Arms wide open, ready to receive you home. And this would be the single best decision you could ever make. And you will get to experience the greatest miracle of salvation. The Bible says, if you repent, believe, and confess, then you shall be saved. And it's not about getting our fire insurance or our ticket into heaven, y'all. It's about walking in a relationship with the king of the universe who loved us so much he died for us. And so I want to pray with you this morning, if you would close your eyes, bow your heads. And I want to ask a very real question to every single person in this room and online today. I just want you to think about it for a moment. Is Jesus Christ truly Lord of all of my life? Or maybe I need to phrase the question this way. Do I truly have a relationship with the man named Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you about your church attendance. I'm not asking you about your giving record. No, I'm asking you, do you have a relationship with the man named Jesus Christ? And I'm here to tell every single one here in this room or online that the invitation is wide open for you to begin one today. And I'm not even going to tell you what to pray, but I'm going to tell you this. It begins with repentance. To admit that there's sin in your life that you need forgiveness for. And you're not just admitting that sin, but you're telling Jesus you're going to turn from that sin. Now, I told you, you don't have to change to follow him, but following Jesus will change you. And what you'll begin to realize is actually the more time you spend with Jesus, the less time you have to do what used to bring you joy. And that prayer of repentance then turns to a prayer of confession. To declare that he truly is Lord of your life. Because the Bible says in Romans, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and he was raised on the third day, you shall be saved. And that's to begin a relationship with him. 
that doesn't have to wait till you die, but begins today. So I want to ask you, do you truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And if you'd say no, or I don't know, and you'd like to, have that conversation with your Heavenly Father right now. Repent of your sin. Receive his forgiveness. And confess that he will be Lord of your life for all of your life. And Lord, I pray over this church, this house, and every soul online. That you would give us all the faith to trust you more and to push the limits of what is practical. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to have the kind of faith that doesn't just lead to miracles in our own lives, but would actually lead to miracles in others' lives. Jesus, I thank you for choosing the miracle of salvation. Jesus, I thank you for choosing the cross and choosing to come and live and die so we could be in relationship with you. And Holy Spirit, would you fan the flame of faith in every believer in this room? Would you activate the areas of their heart that have been dry for so long? Would you tell the dry bones to come alive today and breathe new fire into their life that would reignite a, a purpose in their heart of what it truly means to go be the church and to get outside of what's practical so we can see the miracles of heaven fall all over this place? And God, we praise you in advance for what you are going to do. Because you said it in your word, and your word does not return void. We trust you, Jesus, all the days of our life. We declare today that you are Lord of this house. We pray this all in your holy, precious, and powerful name. And all the church said, amen. Come on, church. All the church said, Amen, amen. amen.